Welcome to the Andy Noise Experience, a podcast endurance news and random musings. It is Friday, Friday night, Saturday night, and it's hard to keep track of days when you got the good old COVID going on. It is November 21st, 2020, 7 o'clock here in Bakersfield, California. Been following the uh, Florida six-day race. Uh, nothing's pretty much changed. It looks like um, Bud is at 450, Ivo's at 374, and Todd McNally's 335. Um, Chet Blanton, who's from Bakersfield, California, now from in Hawaii, is at 280. Looks like my buddy, uh, we were talking to Ed, might be talking to him again. I talked to him the other day about his 800-plus mile month of October of racing, and he is now in Florida. And it looks like he is running along with a number of the guy who's first male, so they're tied for first. Only seven people in the run, but I can kind of tell because they're on the same mileage and they're doing the same laps because that's what the jester does. He often meets up with people and hangs out with them for hours and hours, and that's what I do myself. It's a really good strategy in these multi-day races. You know, find someone and just put in the miles as long as you can with them, and even if you are competing against each other, in fact, they're right now tied for first male. Third overall, the winner, the 48-hour Lisa Devon, is in the lead actually with 157 miles and ed and thomas are at 123 so this evening i saw this article in podium runner by abby burfoot talking about and it says breaking new study reveals physiology of 16 sub 209 marathoners and that's actually a pretty big group when you get down to running studies which is interesting but in fact often like i do studies and talk about endurance stuff and it's often with triathletes for some reason so this is kind of nice abby burfoot write some really good articles and i guess this came out of the journal of applied physiology and uh kipchoge's in it but they don't tear apart and do individual athletes but kipchoge of course went sub two hour and has won just about every marathon there is except this year in london he didn't have a very good time but supposedly he's had some sort of illness going on so anyways as always these studies one of the things that's interesting is um you know, the athletes who run this fast obviously have rare abilities, genetics, uh, culture, where they grew up, and all that stuff. But it says it's not just VO2 max, which is something you kind of inherit, and it's not just the way they handle lactate, which is also another thing. I remember I was watching a, um, some documentary, and they were talking about lactate and how people can clear it quickly, and that's one sign. But then there's some athletes, you know, that can train at really high levels of lactate. That's that burn when you run real fast and then you got to stop. And, and, but it's interesting. Some can really, and then others, like they've done testing, they haven't put it out completely, publish it. But Michael Phelps, I guess his lactate threshold just doesn't even get that high, which is very interesting. So, you know, lactate is kind of a genetic thing also. And it's not just a running economy. Of course, running economy. You can get a lot better with that. You can work on your form and then putting in the miles. But these factors, three factors have always influenced elite marathon performance, but you have to have a combination of all three of them. And so it's unusual for any runner to have both super high VO2 max and super high running academy. The two tend to be very inversely with each other, which is interesting. It'd be almost interesting to find some of the really good VO2 max and try and get them to run better. And as we all know, and I've talked about it in the past, there are some runners out there who have just terrible form, and I bet you they probably have a really high VO2 max, and it'd be interesting to try and get them to train better. And, of course, a fourth factor in um, uh, they've done some studies, fourth factor in being good marathon runners, fatigue resistance, or the ability of muscles to continue running at high speeds past the marathon wall without requiring more oxygen. If they do need more oxygen, which is typical for a weary runner, then performance could 
tail off. And that fatigue resistance, I think, you know, probably is partly genetic, um, especially if you got slow twitch muscles like myself or, you know, and, but I think you can also train for it. And I see that all the time. I remember probably 15, 20 years ago, I wasn't training as much. And I remember running the LA marathon. I wasn't doing too many marathons because I had a full-time record store and kids and all that. So I wasn't doing the training I needed. I remember being at about like 18, 19 of the race and starting to slow down. Of course, the people around me were looking really bad. And I used to always notice that like the men look worse than the women. And it's part, partly probably because the men didn't train as well. And they also just went out too hard. But I was doing that. And that's when I kind of realized, and this was probably about 10 years ago. I said, you know what? I can, I know better than this. I should just train better. And then I won't fade so bad because why do these things if you're not trained for them? You know, of course, I talked about last weekend I was doing the half marathon sweeper and coming up on plenty of athletes who just don't train and they go out there and do it. And it's kind of a concept I don't understand why you just want to go out there and have a terrible time or just the same. So many people and you look at these multi-day race results and I follow them throughout the race. Thankfully, Mike Melton has a great uh, website and you'll see people go out and do the same thing all the time. They go out hard, blow up and then you know and don't get where they want and they do it over and over and over again and so it's an interesting thing so fatigue resistance it says runner can get sub two with a high but not super high of vo2 max and basically they're talking about that i mean and this may not be the case but science is more likely to contribute than evolution or training given the genetic disposition of long-term training have probably been optimized they write it would be appeared that scientific innovations and or strategies which enable higher oxidation metabolic rate to be sustained or enhanced running economy like better in-race fuels or better shoes will play a significant role in future improvements in marathon performance. And if you've done anything and you've watched or listened to this podcast or other places, the super shoes that Nike came out with and now others are coming out with are definitely changing the playing field. I mean, we've had just super fast times and people are just crushing times. They were just talking about the big Ikeden race, the Japanese, um, races they do you know team races relays and how all the records fell this year and it can't be anything more than the shoes so it's kind of like spike lee and michael jordan saying it's the shoes it's the shoes so but you know that's innovation in all sports i remember speed skating you know they came out with those clapper skates and then every all the times went crushed and it's just it's just how it works unfortunately so what was interesting with this study is like i said it was 16 runners which don't sound like a lot but conducting detailed research on elite marathons is notoriously difficult, according to the article. Sometimes scientists can befriend one or two elites and nudge them into the lab. For example, decade, several decades ago, um, one researcher followed Paul Radcliffe, who still used to own the world record, actually. The shoes helped one uh, young lady, Kenyon, last year break that record. And, you know, and he, he was able to look at her and see her treadmill improvement over the years. In fact, she had a kind of a funky form. But these are experiments of one. And they don't, they're, they don't really provide comparative information beyond that new capability. So with this 16, pretty good. And they were not just like looking at these people once or twice on the treadmill. They got to be in the lab. They got to be on treadmills and outdoors on a track. And it's pretty much they think no one's ever monitored runners doing 435 mile pace, 60 minute half on an outdoor track. They found only a small difference between the treadmill and track. And, of course, that's mainly air resistance. The subjects had an average PR of 60.04 and a half and 208.40 at the time they were tested. And, amazingly, all these athletes dropped their time to 206.53. And it says, you know, there's not a 
there aren't a lot of lessons that other runners can learn from the new paper. The elite runners train hard and fast. Of course, they also seem to have great natural talents that deeply reside in their muscle fibers. Interestingly, the runners' stats, they were 29 years old on average, stood just under 5'7", and BMIs of 19.9. They had an average body fat of 7.9%, reached a max heart rate of 190. Their leanness probably makes them highly efficient and good at dealing with heat generated by long, fast running. And I know when I was running fast, sub-three-hour marathons in the early 80s, your typical marathoner was like 5'8 to 5'10, you two pounds, you know, so like 130, 140. And it's interesting that the marathoners keep getting shorter and shorter, you know, for now they're under 5'7, you know, and that's just because they, you know, it's just physics, especially when you want to run fast for long distance. And um, that's one of the reasons I keep talking about the weight classes and running. I think it would just make a huge difference in running. But it seems like I get a lot of resistance because everybody just wants to be like, oh, you just want it because you're 120 kilos. hundred, you know." And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's also just I've got guys who are, you know, built like Greek gods, weigh 198 pounds. And, you know, they're never going to be able to run a sub three hour marathon. And wouldn't it be fun and build the sport by doing and having it. But that's neither here nor there. People aren't going to listen. Um, it's interesting here. It says the runners had average stride lanes. So they exactly matched their standing height. And we're more likely to run with a non-rear foot strike. However, foot strike posture doesn't affect any important physiological measures. It's interesting. So, you know, five foot seven, they had a five foot seven stride. Um, it says running economy varied inversely with ground contact. Um, um, 0.16 seconds on average on each footfall. In other words, the faster they picked up their feet, the more economically, economically they ran. They also exhibited lower vertical impulse than seen in previous elite research. Thus, it's probably a good thing to limit unnecessary bounce in your marathon stride. And that's something you can take home with yourself, you know, is, you know, one, don't overstride. Try and get that, you know, 90 steps a minute with one foot. Keep your center, keep your feet underneath your center of gravity. Have a fairly good, quick cadence. And also try not to be bouncing up and down so much. You see people sometimes with that vertical impulse. That's what they call it here. Um, and here it was interesting that the average VO2 max was just 71 milliliters kilograms per minute. But they were able to do a two-hour pace using 80% of their max, 88% of their max. It was interesting. Recently, a six-year-old runner, Tommy Hughes, um, showed that he did 91% of his max in a marathon race. And he lowered his over 60 record to two. 30 so it's interesting he was actually able to run a little faster um you know vo2 max of 71 was lower than expected it is believed that studies study marathons were training for high economy and not for maximal effort and that definitely makes sense because you know you don't need to be training for a you know a 5k 10k even you want to train to be fast and efficient but so you don't really need to have you know when you run a marathon you're never running it all out like you would in like say a 1500 or a 5k and it says the author of the article said i suspect they trained around a specific pace that was slightly slightly slower than the required vo2 max intervals because of a lot of marathon training is about efficiency and that's definitely the case um, when you see these training programs and people running all this super fast stuff i mean it's good i think and i think i find this all the time when i'm talking to people they're like oh yeah you know i'll be talking to them like oh yeah you know, they're running a marathon or 50 mile or whatever it is. And I'll say, hey, you know, what's your marathon, you know, what's your 10K time? And they just look at me like, 
I've never run a 10K. And, you know, they just jump in the ultras or jump in the marathons. And I think it's great to really develop your speed. And you see that with Kipchoge. You know, he was a super fast 5K guy and then moved up throughout the ranks. And you see that with most of the elite runners. I mean, Jordan Hasse herself, you know, was running 800s here in Kern County back in the day. And now now she's one of our better marathoners. And it's good to move up the distances and not just jump in the things. So you do, you do have that speed or had it. But, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. But, yeah, so... It's basically, it says, what are the explanations? Much mystery remains. Researchers can exact, extract various numbers and measures from any group of runners, but it's a lot stays hidden from you. And it remains true that one of the best ways to succeed in running is to choose your parents carefully. Yeah, I mean, that's always the case. But it's also just a culture. I mean, you see it around the country now in the United States. We're finally starting to do good in distance running. And why? Because post-collegiately, um, there's run groups. You know, you've got the Hoka, NAS Elite, running out of Flagstaff, another Flagstaff company. Um, what's their names? Uh, Dark Skies, a uh, kid from Bakersfield, Blake Haney, who's a sub-four-minute uh, miler. He's now out there training. And then, you know, you have the Nike training groups. And, you know, it's kind of emulating and copying what's been so successful for the East Africans over the years. And, you know, and the Nor- Norwegians way back in the 70s, you know, training groups, good training, uh, taking care of your body, and all that kind of thing really helps. So basically, the takeaways from this article are, you know, you don't have to have a massive VO2 max, um, you know, just train and get the most out of your body, use technology the way it should be used. Uh, And then, of course, as I always say, stay healthy, be boring, not epic.